Hi, everyone. I'm Jenny Graham, Editorials Editor at the Tulsa World, and welcome to our podcast. It's video, and it's a podcast. You can get it on Google, Apple, iTunes, those places. So I'm joined with... Bobby Sett, Editorial Writer and Columnist, and All-Around Troublemaker. <laughs> We're going to tackle what's on our minds today and this past week. So... I picked up the paper and saw that there's a proposal for what is it called inflation relief. I did not realize Oklahoma was wealthy. Did you know Oklahoma was rich? Apparently not. We we I are quite wealthy. This would this is a proposal by the House Speaker Charles McCall that would three weeks before election, which is beautifully timed, to mm -hmm. give everyone in Oklahoma a check. If you're a single filer for taxes, 125, a family, you get two or joint filers, 250. And um, this this would take like something like 321 million out of the budget or the treasury. Yeah. And that's on top of the income tax cut they want to give on top and on top of the grocery taxes they want to eliminate, at least for two years. And I think there are some other things in there. And so all this money is coming out of the income, mm -hmm. which is amazing to me. So um, what was your reaction to, to first, first of all, can you explain to me how putting more government money and credits into the economy helps with inflation? Did I miss something <laughs> in econ class? Yeah, that was the uh, the talking point against all of the uh, COVID relief stimulus and how much it has fueled inflation. So what are we going to do? Well, we're going to take a nine-figure sum of money and throw it into Oklahoma's economy and see what that does. So, okay. So I didn't miss that part of econ class. That what's good for money... me? <laughs> okay. What's, what's good for me is not necessarily good for thee. I don't know how that works. <laughs> Well, so, you know, it's interesting, and someone pointed out this morning that, you know, the ideas like the grocery tax, uh, you know, lifting those, and I think the current proposal is to put a two-year, pull it for two years. Mm. Of course, the likelihood is once we take taxes off of something, we're going to be hard-pressed to put it back on. But those yeah. are like, those are ideas from the Democrats. Remember at some point, now we've come around and the Republicans <laughs> are pushing it? That, well, yeah. I would emphasize to lawmakers right now two words, fiscal responsibility. Not fiscal conservatism, not fiscal anything else, fiscal responsibility. If you have a little extra money, what is going to be the best thing you can do to get a solid return on investment? Is it going to be hamstringing your budget for several years by just cutting? Is it going to be throwing out a big old wad of cash just because you can? Or is it going to potentially be investing in something that might pay off in the future? Now, I'm going to go with C, but I know that that doesn't really work in a lot of people's minds in Oklahoma City right now. <clears throat> the, gosh, I mean, we can talk about the economics of it just fine, but really, I mean, say, I mean, you're married, so you're going to get 250 bucks in October. So what does that mean? That means that, uh, yeah, you probably can lessen your grocery bill for a week. Or maybe you stash a little bit of that aside for Christmas, which is great. Awesome. 
But what if we took $350 million and said, let's do something about the teacher shortage with that? Now, $350 million may not solve it, but it might help it. It, 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 it definitely, yeah. And that's another thing is the voucher bill, which we'll talk about. But um, yeah, we seem to be taking money away from public schools rather than trying to put more toward it. So yeah, that's one area. I mean, I mean, certainly there are a lot of areas that could use that money, but you know, we have this big reserve that we've not had before in these savings accounts. And I just, I think that's given some sort of false sense of security yes. that that'll always, that'll go like that. I mean, we've had revenue failure. We cut income so far, you know, before that we had what, three or four consecutive income failures. It led to a teacher mm -hmm. walkout. It led to services drying up. Mm -hmm. So now that people, we're yeah, getting people forget money, that. I feel like we won the lottery, you know, those people win the lottery and there's a blow it on like cruises and, and, you know, whatever that's, I feel like we're, it's happening. We're just, we for, we forgot the days, which were not just only just a few years ago that we were laying off teachers and school uh, employees. Mm -hmm. We were forgetting the days that we told our highway patrol um, your patrol radius just got a lot smaller now because we can't put gas in the cars and, and maintain the cars. We have suddenly just forgotten all of this because like you said, suddenly Oklahoma is rich. And we forget also that so much of the surplus is money that was from the federal government in terms of relief. It's temporary. It's not something that's gonna be coming in all the time. Now, there's one thing that they do want to spend some money on, uh, rural broadband. That's good ROI. Spend that money, which well, is already federally I mean, allocated anyway. Well, it's so great. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. We, no. That works for everybody. But what you're talking about here is like to the individual, it's 125 bucks. To a household, married, you know, couple, it's 250 bucks. You know, okay, that's what four or five tanks of gas, something like that. I don't know, whatever. I but it costs the state $350 million. Goes. That's a lot of money. Yeah, it's, um, it, it is, well, and it's not inflation relief. It, that, that will arguably make it worse. Because we'll just call a spade a spade here on this. Well, and I'll say one of the things that they were looking at, I think, was um, expanding the low, a low income tax credit. And again, that was what's a Democrat idea that's come around. Some of those might be worth looking at, but I just, uh, it's among all these other cuts to income that yeah. I, I do think low-income tax credits do help families in the end, but mm -hmm. um, but it, in line with all these other things, it just looks very, you know, <laughs> looks like they're drunk on extra money or something. Hey, let's just call it for what it is. Some of that's part of the discussion on this. You're talking about putting some money in people's bank accounts a few weeks before election day. It's a stunt. It's a stunt. Yes, yes, it is. So speaking of stunts and the legislature, gosh, they give us so much to talk about. So this is starting the the era of shucking, of uh -huh. shell bills finally getting filled in. And for those who don't know, <laughs> shucking is a perfectly legal thing where a lawmaker can take a bill and use what is called a substitute. And they can go into a bill, take all the language out, cut, new, cut, cut and paste new legislation in that has nothing to do with the previous topic, and that's the bill. So it could be on originally about a road, but then you end up with something about abortion. That's shucking. That's gonna be happening more and more. 
but you also have shell bills, which are basically empty bills that have one paragraph or one sentence that says, this pertains to education. And it stays empty until the last minute, which is what happened yesterday, mm -hmm. like 12 to 14 hours before that bill was to be heard, um, it became an anti-trans bill. And this is the old chestnut of not wanting trans kids to participate in sports. This is specifically, and I think it's renamed now the Girls Sports Empowerment Act or something. What it does is basically says we don't want uh, trans girls participating in sports. And I'm against it just because I'm against discrimination. And that's what it does. It discriminates against kids. But, uh, but I do see you have one camp that is worried about winning, that they're, they're worried about the fairness of a kid winning a championship. On the other end, you've got LGBT community and allies saying, we just want to participate. Just, you know, the, the handful of examples coming out of, you know, mm. professional sports in that caliber, there's a lot of debate there and, and I'm, I understand it, but for the most part, when you're talking about trans kids in schools, and I know three of them personally, the, you know, they're, they just want to run track. They just want to, you know, play tennis. They're, you know, they're, they're not elite players, but there's so much going on there when, you know, there are not very many trans people in general. Most people don't know a trans person, but I'm telling you, I've seen some kids struggle um, with mental health when, around LGBTQ issues. And like say that the few trans kids I know, I just hate, it breaks my heart as a parent to think they would be banned from anything just for who they are. But, but anyway, that bill came about 12, 14 hours before it was heard and just sort of got in there. And I just, I, there's a part of me that just, just trust lawmakers who just don't file what their intentions are up front. Because I don't, and I think the 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 reaction will, or the thinking may be, well, I don't really want to rile the the allies in the base. I don't want to. I want to do this at the last minute. It just seems so yeah. underhanded to me. But Maybe I mean, what, what, are, what is your thinking? What do you, what, what do you think about the trans bill? I mean, do you like say so I oppose it just on that, but I don't know how you feel about it. They're going into this with the idea, and they're, they're creating an image. Okay, so we're creating an image of say a boy who decides they want to be a girl or, and like I said, this is what they're thinking in their minds. It's not me saying anything in particular how I feel, but this is the image that they're trying to portray. So this boy who's transitioning to become a girl, and let's say this, this person is 6'1", 190, and all of a sudden, you know, transitions to become a girl, joins the girls' soccer team and just dominates everybody or does the same thing in softball or if you got somebody who's got the male level of testosterone, becomes a sprinter on a girls' track team and just dominates everybody. So that's kind of what we're talking about. Well, their protest here is on this specifically. So to your points, like you said, this is rare. This is exceedingly rare. It's, there are so few sports. trans people in the world that we're spending a yes. lot of energy on this. And then you're going to take a percentage of a small percentage mm -hmm. that might be interested in sports 
And it's not to say, you know, what if the boy transitioning to girl is five foot five and 120 pounds and they want to play soccer? Are they going to be any better than somebody else that is uh, a person who was born female and identifies as, as a girl playing soccer on that same field? I kind of doubt it. Anyway, I have a tendency to draw back and look at the big picture on things like this. And when I see bills like this and some of the book, burn, book banning stuff and everything like that, what I'm seeing is a pattern that's arisen since the legalization of gay marriage in the United States. And it's been a slow build, but it is building pretty fast. And it seems, it feels like to me, we got a situation where you got some people, it's like, all right, enough is enough. I want to go back to this time. We're going to just put you all back in the closet because we don't want to hear it. We don't want to see it. We don't want to know about it and just don't. How do, how do you go from there with that kind of thing? I mean, you know, going to the, kind of, the issues of mental health that you were talking about and just mm -hmm. how the, that type of a life affected people mm -hmm. who grew up in that in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and stuff like that, that were basically, I don't know, what's the, what's the right word I'm looking for? Shunned, browbeat, well, whatever, for years and years. And shunned, but, you know, yes. the, when you look at the suicide rates among trans youth, it's a small, I mean, it's astronomical. It and, is. I, and I've seen that sadly kind of play out and and so to me that's what's not being considered is by passing a law an actual law that says you can't participate what does that psychologically say and you know and it goes into the other things that affect uh younger lgbtq people um the percentages of, of people who are gay and lesbian homeless kids is extraordinarily high among the general population of homeless kids. There's a reason for that. I mean, it is, it's, it's a hard thing for me to accept the idea of placing additional psychological burdens on people when they're already going to be going through the typical struggles of, of being a teenager and trying to fit in and, and all that kind of stuff. And it does manifest, like you said, in things like, suicidal ideation, suicide, depression, and other mental health issues that come up. So I just wish people would be more careful with this kind of stuff. Um, because it's, it's a, when you're talking about a law, it's a permanency. And, and there is the OSSAA that oversees sports, mm -hmm. just like the NCAA oversees college sports. And all that, I mean, so to me, those are the appropriate places where this can be decided. And there's also, I mean, when you get into the science of it, I mean, there have been some, some cases where cisgender women, women who weren't allowed to participate because their hormone levels weren't right, because yeah. they naturally produce more testosterone. Okay, so are they men now? I mean, it's, so you start kind of splitting hairs, and I just don't think a legislative body should address that. And what we're talking about are teenagers and preteens. And, and also kind of the back of my head, I'm like, okay, so where does that, once you start discriminating, where does that end? Because then it's easy, you know, okay, so we don't want transgender girls in theater to have boy roles. I mean, how you, yeah. does that expand beyond? And so that part of me is that slippery slope argument that I just, I want to err on the side of kindness as a parent, you know, because I know some of these kids 
And, and I wish that you, you talked about where we are. I think if, if we knew more of the other, it would help. And so, you know, yeah. if, if you're a lawmaker and you're promoting these bills, do you actually know a trans person? Have you ever sat down and had dinner with a trans person before you vote or propose this legislation? If you haven't, then maybe you're missing a whole perspective. I mean, maybe you can meet that person and you still feel that way, but at least hear that other side. So I don't yeah. I don't know, Bob. Just That's going. hard, man. It, it's tough because, I mean, there's a whole lot of things that filter into the discussion in terms of uh, values, faith, um, all right. that kind of thing. But it does, these bills come up a lot of times to score political points to, uh, especially during an election season. You can say that you're for this or you're against that without looking at the long-term effects on real life people and who stuff like this, what's the impact on these folks? And when you pass a law like this, it's probably not going to do anything to change scholastic athletics. I would say almost nothing, mm -hmm. but it will affect a lot of people who face these questions, these struggles on a day-to-day -day basis. You gotta think of that. What if that's with your kid, you know? Speaking of scoring political points, the yeah. voucher bill, the thing Vouchers. that you know, that we've, we've had, this has been a um, decades-long fight. It's in the uh, a Senate panel, which I know at least one of those people on that panel voted against a previous voucher bill from a rural area with no private schools, voted for it. And I we have an editorial coming out this weekend that our editorial board feels strongly against it because it just straight up takes public money and sends it straight to private schools, and that's for existing kids in private schools. And I'll tell you, the biggest losers on that, it's going to be rural areas, that not only do they not have as many private schools there, but um, they don't tend to have as high of, like, land value and uh, income and other sort of resources to pick up the slack where the mm -hmm. state doesn't pay the education funding. So if you're a rural lawmaker voting for this, I... Why? What what yeah. benefit are you getting out of this? So uh in in it the you know it caps it gives and it's they he took out Greg Treat, um, who is not, you know, we invited him to talk to the ed board and he's not taking us up on that. So, you know, we held out as long as we could. But he took out the part of homeschool because originally they were gonna send homeschool uh parents a voucher. The vouchers would be somewhere between uh, on average about thirty six hundred, but in some situations, it might go up to 5,300. Now, keep in mind, private school tuition, it's anywhere from, it's around 10,000 and up. So mm -hmm. you still have parents that are going to have to, it's not equitable. Equity means no barriers. There are still barriers to private education. Definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, in our points were, uh, it does nothing, it, it just, there are no accountability standards for where that, how that money is used. The bill would only call for an audit of 10% of where that private voucher money goes. Public schools have to audit 100% of their funds. So only 10% of this gets audited. So there's no documentation requirement of where, how these private schools are spending that money. Um, there are no academic standards. So a kid goes to private school. How do we know how well that kid's doing? They don't have yeah. to report any testing. Those schools, and some of those private schools aren't accredited. 
but they certainly aren't getting labeled with a grade. You know, there's just, um, and also private schools can still discriminate. And some private schools are wonderful. And I know kids mm -hmm. that go there and they do great, but a private school can still say, we don't, you know, honor IEPs for special needs kids. We don't let LGBTQ kids in because we have, you know, we're a religious school and that's our moral values. Um, there are all kinds of reasons. So, yeah. but here's the thing. So the Senate's pushing to pass this. Charles McCall in the House has said, we're not going to listen to any voucher bills because the membership doesn't like it. Mm -hmm. So is this just political posturing? Is this just a distraction? How's, how serious is this, you think? Boy, I could see this as being one of two things. One is what you're saying. It's posturing. It's getting certain people on the ledger, so to speak, to say, yes, we are for this and we're behind the governor and, and all the people that want this kind of stuff. Um, with the idea that it's not going anywhere and doesn't matter anyway, you just get to check that box saying that uh, you're for it. The other side of it is it could be a pressure campaign. So if the Senate passes this, any pretty, let's say they have, let's, let's say it goes to a full vote of the Senate and all the Democrats vote against it, which there's not very many of them, and almost all the Republicans vote for it, that might send enough of a message to the House saying, okay, you know, we're calling your bluff. Are you still going to flunk this thing? So that makes it a little stickier for the Speaker. Uh, to say, nope, we're not doing it. But how that plays out, I am not totally sure. But you do have, appears, Senate leadership and the governor's office who are pushing for this, and they're pushing hard for it. So will the speaker hold out? Uh, what does this caucus really think? And I would say to them, uh, do right by the schools that you're entrusted to fund that you are entrusted to maintain. This is, and it's not an optional thing. It's in the state constitution. You have to, we yeah, we, yes, we have to do fund this. It, and we have not funded it. It's not like, and to me, we're talking about voucher bills when we've never funded our system and there is nothing wrong with funding a system. Can we just get past the sloganeering on this? No Everything doubt. we do in public, we fund prison systems, welfare systems, it's fine to, fund a school system. Um, but we've never funded it appropriately. So why would we take an underfunded system and then make it weaker? I no, don't know how this, it doesn't further, help public schools. It doesn't help our public schools. It doesn't help our teachers mm -mm. Uh, at all, which we're already having problems keeping and finding and retaining these people. And the, and the people who, uh, the students who do not who would not, let's say, go into a, a private school and take you up on these vouchers, they're stuck. Mm -hmm. And let's just be real about this for a second. Let's say this passes and becomes law. And I've seen a lot of people, well, it helps poor kids too. Okay, no. well, let's talk about that. Where are all these private schools? Let's say just in the Tulsa metro area, how many of them do we have? Most well, it's not a ton. Yeah. And if you're talking about, let's say it's a, it's a poor person that's on like say out in West Tulsa or somewhere on the North side or somewhere on the East side, wherever, it doesn't matter. Are you gonna tell me that a voucher is gonna get them into like one of the more expensive ones? 
It's going to get you a part of the way there. You're going to have to find the rest. It's not going to happen. Are you going to be able to get rides to these places? One thing that public schools do is they've got school buses to pick up kids to go to school. Well, if you're going to go to Metro Christian or Victory or Holland Hall or Kasha or something like that, do they have a network of school buses going all over the metro area picking up kids? I mean, maybe they do, maybe they don't. I don't know. But you're talking about, I don't know. I mean, yeah. are these kids going to even be able to go if right. they had that opportunity? So it just seems like we're, when you're funding a system, you are funding students. Mm -hmm. And when you're taking funding away from the system that you're legally bound to, uh, that you're obligated to run and give it to, th to these things really is just another system, right? Right. You're just spending the private school system. Exactly. Right. And, you know, there is parent choice. Let's be, you know, we have this, the, the state has expanded. First of all, last, last year, they uh, loosened restrictions on transfers so you can transfer easier. Mm -hmm. And private school kids have access to the Nicole Henry scholarship for just, if you have disabilities. Um, and then there's also this uh, scholarship opportunity grant. So there are, you know, they have addressed that. And we have a robust charter school system. The virtual uh, public uh, choices have expanded. So parents have choice. Um, so that's just a, a misnomer right there. But it's, it just seems like this is the only part of a budget that people look at in, and I'm sorry, it's a selfish way. And I mean that in like no other part of the budget do we say that's my pot of money. Like mm -hmm. in education, we're like that $3,600 is mine and I'm going to take it. We don't say that when it's, you know, DHS and it's adoption. And I want to take my adoption money and send it to Catholic charities. Or mm -hmm. I want to take my portion of National Guard funding and put it toward I don't know, something else. I mean, taxes don't work that way. We work, it, it works of, we send it in a, in a big pot of money and, and we, we don't look at it as individuals. Does that, you get, you kind of understand what I'm talking about where I, I don't know why exactly education has, about. I don't know why education funding have, has boiled down to this individual pot of money that we own. That's well, I, I would say heart. this on this subject, two things. Uh, one, if this passes, it's a vote against accountability. Mm -hmm. The second thing, the stronger your public school system is, the better off your state is going to be up and down from the lower income folks to the highest income folks for the business community and for every other institution that our kids are going to be touching. The stronger your public school system is, the stronger the state is going to be. And that's where, and that's where we this. talk about economic development and wooing companies to our, our yeah. cities. Got to have a good school system because no one wants to move their employees to a place where they, you know, can't go to the, the neighborhood school and feel good about it. So, right. um, and, and the next uh, legislative thing, we have a bunch of vaccine bills, which yeah. are basically anti-vaccine bills that they're wanting to, there was a bill, I think that passed this yesterday that would penalize private and public entities who require vaccines or ask about vaccines. Now, this isn't just COVID, this is all vaccines. 
So if you are an international group that travels internationally or you're a healthcare facility and you require things like measles vaccines, flu, it just seems like such a step backwards. Yeah, and, just... and they're trying to tell private business what safety measures that, you know, to take away safety measures. Yeah, here we go again. And just the idea of having rampant diseases come back and just ravage their way through schools and employers and everything like that, stuff that we've eradicated for decades. It sounds like a really terrible idea. I saw the state chamber was opposed to it. So that's a little bit of a um, reassurance that, uh, you know, it just seems like these bills, whether it's the trans, especially like this bill, it's this emotional moment in time. Yeah. And they're going to pass a law based on that emotional moment in time. It's what we're, that House Bill 1775 about critical race theory last year that passed. Mm -hmm. 10 years from now, it's not going to be an issue. That was an issue on Fox News and Newsmax. It might not be an issue in two years. It might, yeah. Vaccine bills, once we really sort of get out of this, it's mm -hmm. not going to be the emotional issue that it is. So exactly, it is just a bad way of legislating, but it does get into, you wrote an excellent column coming out this weekend where it's kind of a take on this, but not, not really, but it, it, you sort of looked, I thought it was interesting. You, you, it, the theme of it is, have we watered down the meaning of freedom? Mm -hmm. And you took two contrasting things, the convoy, the people's convoy and the Ukraine war. Just explain briefly, give a little sneak peek about what was going through your mind, what you want, what's coming up this weekend? So I've read a couple of stories about the People's Convoy and what they're protesting against and how that was sort of a, a mimic of what they had in Canada where, you know, you had truckers and other people protesting about having to be forced to take vaccines or get tested or wear masks or whatever. And they shut down the Canadian capital for a while. So we've got this going on here and they're on their way to Washington. And <clears throat> a lot of flag waving, a lot of talk about freedom and liberty and stuff like that. Okay. So half a world away in Ukraine, you've got anything from train battle-hardened soldiers to just people off the street are picking up arms and making Molotov cocktails and fighting for their country, which has been horrifically invaded by Russia. It told me that in Ukraine right now, freedom is a very concrete term. We either live free or we lose our country and at worst I die. Yeah, it's tangible. That's very, very yeah. tangible, very concrete. Here, we seem to have gotten into the point where freedom is the absence of being told or recommended to do what you might not want to do. And that just kind of just blows my mind a little bit. Now, I'll say this. I have no problem with people expressing their opinion about these mandates and stuff like that and voicing their opinions saying they don't like it saying why they don't like it and all that kind of stuff no problem with that is your first amendment right mm -hmm. but when it comes to elevating the absences of things that you make you uncomfortable or whatever 
to this life and death struggle for freedom and liberty and wearing tri-corner hats and I just can't anymore. <laughs> it, it, it was it was can. this past weekend a very now granted that people's convoy which is <laughs> there was a lot of irony going on there considering that you know legislature passed a bill that said you can run over people in the streets who are protesting and we have people over overpasses in the streets you know, and I, yeah. but they had a lot of support coming through Oklahoma um, it's not surprising. But it was hard to see that. And then you watch your news and go, God, these people in Ukraine, I mean, they're, I mean, just imagine someone just coming in and, and taking over your country because they want it. That's freedom. And it's, they're talking yeah. about freedoms from mass and, and a shot. They're talking about a whole different thing. And it was, it was almost like read the room. You know, I just, I couldn't muster oh, bad, that. Yeah. I couldn't, couldn't mess it, but it was, you, you bring up some very thoughtful points on that of what freedom means and what as Americans have we gotten so far away from, from that? Like, what are we yeah. really talking about when you say my freedom? You know? Yeah. It's, um, I think this past couple of years in contrast with what we're seeing right now does really, it makes me ask a lot of questions and I don't want to sound too harsh and I don't want to make this a thing where I'm leveling this giant indictment on the country, although I kind of am. If we were faced with something that really, really required the country to pull together, whether it was something like the Ukrainians are facing or something else that was something very serious, do we have the strength as a people to do it? And we had a test run with COVID and I'm giving us a D plus on this one. And I think I'm being generous because yeah, this you, was an opportunity. I, I, I think we've all kind of asked that. What, what is it? And it's that thing. What, what does it take to bring us together? Does it have to be, does it have to be a tragedy that brings us together? Does it have mm. to be a, an attack on our borders like 9-11 to do it? I, I would hope that we would find other things beyond violence that we can can agree on and not be so mean about that. Yeah, I don't want um, the government telling me what to do. I want to be able to live my life. There's a, there's a libertarian streak in me that's a little strong <laughs> at times. No one but, does. I don't either. But, you know, I also know that I'm not alone living in this world. Yes. And so, um, I mean, it's and it's okay to disagree. But, but yeah, that, that juxtaposition was, was an interesting one last weekend. But, but I do want to let, I'll tell you, one of the, the stories I read over the weekend I loved was uh, Lindsey Crable wrote about the academic All-Americans. Mm -hmm. It's, a, it's a, the annual story, but she interviewed a kid from Memorial High School who is an academic All-American. And I just, I loved it. You know, Memorial is one of those high schools that, you know, their test scores aren't super great. You know, they've, they've had some struggles with, uh, you know, just outside their, you know, a lot of mm -hmm. kids coming from poverty, you have immigrants. But here's this kid that, man, to be an academic All-American, you have to have a minimum of 30 ACT. And then you've got to have, you know, all these extracurriculars and all this stuff. And I've always kind of thought with the school, there's a device who gave me a long time ago, the schools really, what you can ask of them are, are they giving opportunities to kids? For kids who are academically ambitious, do they have a path? And here's a kid who did. And, and yeah, I looked yeah. at all those academic 
All-Americans, and some came from schools that you would assume, Booker T, Jinx, um, but then there are these schools in rural areas have the same struggles. They have poverty. They have not great test grades. But man, they have a kid there who is doing something great. And we hear so much about how bad public schools are that we're seeing this is a bright light. There are kids doing amazing yeah. things, taking the opportunities that are being given to them. And you have also teachers in there making sure they have the tools to do it. Yeah. That that kid at Memorial had teachers there the whole way, making sure he could, you know, take all the advanced classes he needed and had the extra help or whatever it was. So uh, congratulations to them. Exactly. And, and Rebecca Peterson in Union High School uh, is the teacher of the year. Mm -hmm. I like that one. We have teachers of the year. And uh, and we congratulate all, all the finalists, but also every building has a teacher of the year. They have a staff of the year. So, you know, congratulations to all of them. I think it's wonderful. I, I like those those good stories because we don't hear enough of them, you know. And Anything you want to add, Bob? Let's hear more of that, man. The more we can boost our public schools, the more stories like that we're going to hear. So, yeah. Yeah, and those, those do teachers that. do, and they're doing that in light of a, a really difficult political um, pushback. So, so congratulations, no. and... Hopefully next week there'll be more good news. You know, I know that the legislature is doing some crazy stuff that's getting us all kind of going, but uh, there's always something next week. So any last exactly thoughts, right. Bob? I would say enjoy the weather this weekend. Get out there, do stuff. Um, take a break from uh, some of the things that may be wearing you down. Uh, be sure to pick up a copy of the Sunday Tulsa World and be sure to write us. Letters to the editor. We like them. We like letters. We like op-eds. Submit to us. And yes, the ice finally melted. It only took like four days. There were some patches around the fortune that just weren't going to let it up, but it did. So, well, thank you. Tune in next week and have a good weekend.